Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Thank you, thank you. Can we give it up for the worship team? Come on. Y'all know they show up here early every Sunday. Uh, Give it up for the production team who also is here early. Give it up for everyone that serves every Sunday. Come on, make some noise. How many know church doesn't just happen? It takes hundreds of people every Sunday to make all this go. And so thank you for all those who serve. If you aren't serving, we would love to have you join the team, be a part of the team. So they're going to bring out a few things for the message today. Uh, But I want to jump in here. We're continuing this series on the book of Mark called Marked by Jesus. How many know when Jesus touches us, when we encounter Jesus, we're never the same? We're marked forever. We're changed forever. Once you know Jesus, you've tasted a little of the presence of Jesus. You just cannot live the same way any longer. And we've come to a passage that we actually see in two of the Gospels. It's here in Mark chapter 12. It's also in Luke chapter 21. Uh, This story, the most famous offering ever given by the widow, the poor widow. And it's a story probably many of you have heard. And I believe God wants to impart something to us today in this place. It is now 48 hours until Jesus' crucifixion. If you didn't know, as Jesus is teaching here in the temple, uh, we've walked through it the last few weeks. Uh, Jesus is confronted by four different religious leaders. He's teaching throughout the morning and the day, and they keep coming to him, asking him questions, trying to trap him, trying to catch him, trying to get him to say something that would get him in trouble either, either with the people or with the nation of Rome. And yet every time he answers perfectly until finally it says that they dared not ask him any more questions. And so after teaching for most of the day, he stops and goes in to a part of the temple that is called the court of women, and he begins to watch as people, he's people watching, as people bring in their offerings. And he sees many rich people bring large sums, and then this poor widow shows up. You know, I know maybe today you came in here for the first time, and and you were excited to hear about Jesus, maybe you want to hear something about hope, about love, and today I'm going to talk about money. And you're going, of course, the pastor's talking about money. Pastors love to talk about money. They always talk about money. And here's what I want to tell you. We've been walking through this passage through the book of Mark verse by verse for going on three years, and it would be very easy for me to just kind of like brush past this, go to the next text, but how many know I would, be not be, I would not be faithful to the call on my life or the call that we have as a church to walk verse by verse through every book of the Bible or through this book in this current season. And we can't run from this. And I believe that God is going to make many of you uncomfortable today. I believe that because he made me uncomfortable this week as I prepared for this message. My goal today is not to guilt you or for you to feel condemnation in this place. But my goal is that you would be uncomfortable. Because how many know when God gets us a little uncomfortable, that's when we can change. 
We don't change in the comfort of life. We change when things get uncomfortable. And I believe that God wants to change us as it relates to our money, to how we handle our money, to how we use our money. Because I believe that there is a better way, a biblical way in how we're using our money. And most of us, many of us, some of us are not doing it God's way. I'm guilty at times of living close-fisted, of being selfish. I'm guilty at times uh, of loving money. Why? Because I'm human. And I live in America, a a consumer-driven culture. Y'all know I love clothes and shoes. And and it's hard sometimes to be generous when there's so much that I want to get. And yet as I prepared this week, God convicted me, even on our Sabbath or our sabbatical, Christy and I were gone for five weeks, if you didn't know, we just came back last week. But even during our Sabbath, I read this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and and great book, John Mark Comer, I recommend it. And and I read through it, and in it, it talked about how one reason that we're so hurried and rushed is because we're so caught up in consuming and buying and things, and I was convicted And so this is a carryover, I believe, was something that God had already started to stir in my heart, and he's brought us to this passage. And I want to set this up. If you didn't know, uh, it is the season of Passover in Jerusalem, which is the biggest religious celebration for uh, Judaism or the Jews. And so historians will tell you that Jerusalem had swelled to 10 times its normal size. I want you to imagine Sacramento with 10 times the amount of people we normally have. I want you to imagine the doko. You ever walk through the doko when there's not a king's game? It's very quiet. But you walk through the doko when the kings are about to play, and it's popping, man. All these people excited to watch us lose again. Oh, longest playoff drought in NBA history, guys. Can we just stop and pray for the kings for a moment? I'm kidding. Let's keep going. Ten times the amount of people normal. And so the temple is filled with people, thousands of people. And Jesus begins teaching that morning. Here's a picture of the temple. Uh, If if you're looking at this, you think that's not very big. This is actually ten times the size of a, or it's the size of ten football fields. Let me get this right. Ten football fields across and wide. It is a very large structure. And the people would have been out of the elements, so Jesus most likely would have been teaching under one of these uh, overhangs with these columns, which they called Solomon's portico, and he would have been underneath that to stay out of the elements, teaching throughout the morning. And the people were coming, and they were asking him questions. The religious leaders were trying to trap him, and he answered every question perfectly. They dared not ask him any more questions. The people loved listening to him. Finally, he stops. I'm guessing he was tired from teaching for much of the day, and he goes, and he sits in the court of women. The court of women would have been right in this area. This is the court of women. They call it the court of women because that was as far as the women could go. The men could go a little further, but no one could go in the Holy of Holies but the priests. And what was in the court of women was 10 boxes, or sorry, 13 boxes, all in the shape of trumpets. And every one of these boxes, these were offering boxes. And these offering boxes in the shape of trumpets all represented something different that the temple needed. So you would come, it was a free will offering, you would bring whatever you wanted, whatever you were led to give, and you would drop it in one of the boxes, and each box represented something. So one would be for the incense to be burned, another would be uh, for upkeep, 
upkeep of the, the Holy of Holies. Another would have been for the, the animals for sacrifice. Another would have been uh, to take care of the, the building and the structure. And so you could give to whatever part of the temple you wanted to contribute to. And so Jesus is sitting and he's watching as rich people come and drop their large sums in. And then he sees this woman, this poor widow. She comes and drops two small coins in. And then he gathers disciples and gives this great moment, this great illustration. says she's given more than any of these. For they contributed out of their abundance. But she gave all she had to live on. So I know what most of you are probably thinking. You're thinking, oh, man, that's me. I'm the widow. I'm poor. I'm poor. But I want to put this into context because while most of us in the room, this room probably relate more to the poor widow, in reality, we are probably the rich. If you put it in the context of the world, let me just illustrate this for us for a moment. First, if you make $33,000 annually, you are in the top 1% of global earners in the world. I'll let that rest for a moment. Some of you are like, that's not me though. I am the poor widow. I knew it. <laughs> Listen, if you make minimum wage, maybe you make fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year, you're part-time. You are in the top 5% of earners in the world. If you make a combined annual income of $85,000, so some of you want a dual income in this place, or maybe you just make more than that, you are in the top one-tenth of 1% 1 in the world. So I wanted to put this into context for you because it, while many of you are relating to the poor widow, you're most likely the rich. When you look at the world, we're the rich. And you're like, okay, Caleb, that's nice. But honestly, I knew it. The pastors love to teach on money. You're going to do it now. Why do I need to hear this? Well, you need to hear it because Jesus talks about it a lot. In fact, 16 of the 38 parables have to do with money. One in 10 verses in the New Testament or in the Gospels talk about money. Did you know that 500 verses in the entire Bible talk about faith? Another 500 Bible verses in the entire Bible talk about prayer, but 2,000 verses in the Bible talk about money. So I just want this to soak in because the Bible is full of guidance and advice and, and, and advocation for what it looks like to be a generous people when we serve God. And yet, so many of us are sitting here thinking, well, does God really care about what I do with my money? He does. He cares maybe more than you've ever thought he cared. This poor widow in the Greek, the word that is used is tokos, which means abjectly poor, meaning that she had nothing. Nothing. No home. No, no material possessions. She has nothing and I thought about it because I'm like, man, this woman, this poor widow, and she gives all that she has. She gives these two coins, which in the Greek, the word that's used is a leptod. These would have been the equivalent of 164th of a day's wages. So we read it, and in the King James, and even in this version, it says it calls them pennies. 
But if we actually do the research and, and look at the history, this would have been the equivalent today of $2. She has $2. Now, you all know in this place, you're not going to Ella with $2. You're not going to Ruth Chris with $2. But you could hit up the McDonald's dollar menu. You could snag something from Candy Heaven down the street. You could get a soda, a Big Gulp, a Slurpee. You could get a piece of fruit, something of sustenance. She had the equivalent of $2. She could have gone and bought something to sustain herself for the day or the next couple days. And yet she chose to give it all. You see, generosity isn't about what we give. It's about our heart when we give. In God's eyes, little is much when the heart is in it. And so that's why I titled this message, It's Not Much, But I'll Give It. Because I want to talk to you about your heart. Money doesn't matter if your heart is bankrupt. And I think that many of us have not bankrupted our heart to the Lord. We've held back part of our heart. And in reality, it's probably a big part that has to do with money. And that's why right now you guys are squirming and you're on the edge of your seat and you're like, how do I escape? How do I get out of here? Because money is that topic that pastors don't want to talk about, that often we don't want to hear about. Because we say, well, I earned it. I got it. I did this. Let me manage it. But the word of God And our Savior wants to lead us and guide us when it comes to our money. Why? Not because he needs what you have to give. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And I'm here to tell you the word of God is clear that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And many of us in this room, including myself, have placed our treasures in the things of this world. We've placed our treasures in the stuff that we can acquire, the things that we can buy, how big our bank account is. And God is saying, where is your treasure? I want your heart. I don't need your money, but I want your heart. And what we give is a direct reflection of where our heart is. So let me give you lessons from a widow's heart. I got three lessons from a widow's heart for you today. Notice I didn't call this lessons from a widow's gift. It was not her gift that Jesus saw. It was her heart that Jesus saw. You see, man looks at the outward appearance. In fact, the Bible is clear about this. He says, you know, don't give the wealthy the place of prominence at feasts. In the church, don't save them the front row. Don't cater to them. It's clear on this. And yet, As human beings, we get caught up in who is giving the most rather than how much of our heart are we giving to God. So the first lesson from a widow's heart is her love for God was evident. She loved God so much that she went to the temple as a poor, destitute widow with nothing but $2. Now some of you are like, yeah, that, that's cool, like, I get it. But I don't think sometimes we recognize how hard it is for some people to step into a place like this. 
You know it's difficult for people to step into this room. Some of you, it was very hard for you to come into this room today because you're wondering, what are people going to think about me? What are people saying about me? What if I don't look the part? What if I don't fit in? What if I'm not wearing the right thing? You know how many times I've invited people and they've been like, I'd come, but I don't know what to wear. I'd be like, the great thing is you can come just as you are. Because while man does look at the outward appearance, we know that God looks at the heart. And he wants you as you are. He doesn't need pomp and circumstance. But in this moment, I mean, you saw the temple. Think of it and picture it littered with thousands of people. And there are many rich people entering in. And they would have come in their best. The most beautiful robes adorned perfectly and walked in and hear this poor widow. I just picture her walking in with her head hung lowly, trying not to look around embarrassed about how she appeared. But she loved God so much she could not stay away from the house of God. And I wonder how many of us have kept ourselves away from the house of God for so many other reasons. And God's saying, if it's about your heart and all I care about is your heart, how could you not be here? How could you not bring your worship to me? Her love for God was so evident. You see, God actually does see our giving. Did you know that? He knows what you're giving. He sees your giving. And I want to tell you, if you aren't faithful with the little, why would God give you much? Why would he believe you would be faithful with much? And, and I can illustrate this because I've had many people tell me, look, okay, like one day I'll give. One day I'll tithe, but I got to hit this point in my income. And I tell them every time, if you can't do it now, why would you do it then? In fact, the more you make, the harder it is to give. And statistics actually tell us that. That the larger our income is, the lower percentage on average we give in America. Our love for God is indicated not just by showing up in the room, by lifting our hands, by reading our Bibles, but also by our management of the resources that he's given us. Did you know that? That this is a reflection of your love for God, how you manage what you've been given. It's called stewardship, where we are stewards of what God has blessed us with. And I recognize that it's hard at times because we have a lot of demands on us in this culture. Demands on us to get this house, purchase this car, to look this way, to dress how we think we're supposed to dress. Demands on us to set ourselves up for the future. And I don't think any of those things are bad. I don't think a house is bad. I have a house. Car is bad. We got two of them. I don't think the future is bad. I got a savings account, emergency savings account. I got a retirement plan, and I have a college fund set up for my kids. Those are all good things. But are we still generous? Are we obedient when God asks us to give? I, I can illustrate this simply by telling you that Chrissy and I, in the last two years, have gotten really serious about our budgeting. You want to know why we got really serious about our budgeting? Because we wanted to be more generous. And let me tell you, if you just wait till the end of the month, like, oh, I'll just give whatever's left over, how many of you know that nine times out of ten, there's nothing left over? 
But when you actually decide, I'm going to give this much to God, and this much is going to retirement, and this much is going to my bills, and this much is going to my future, then you know I've already set it apart, so I will definitely give it. You're like me. A lot of you. You don't have a faithfulness issue. You have a forgetfulness issue. I want to give. I just forget to give. So I was like, Chris, we got to set this up recurring giving. We have recurring giving every month, the beginning of the month. It comes out. Why? Because I don't want to forget to be faithful. Let me tell you something. Maybe you could have a little praise break with me. The first week of August, we make the final payment on our student loans. Come on, somebody. Give God some praise in this place. After 13 years, we're not going to say whose student loans they are that we're still paying off. I wouldn't do that to her. (laughs) I'm joking. I married her and I said, I've never, Chrissy will tell you, it's never been a point of contention because I knew when I married her, I said, these are my loans now. These are our loans now. So if you're getting ready to get married, you better know everything going into it and then don't hold it against them if you made the decision to step into that relationship. It is now your loan. That was just a little relationship advice on this Sunday talking about generosity. But Chrissy and I, are going to make our final payment. And here's what my wife did. She already, it came out last week, and I was like, what did you just do? She already upped the amount that we give to the church. Because she said, look, this, this amount, this chunk that we've been giving towards, and we already tithe, so we've gone above now the 10%. We've moved past that in our generosity. I believe the tithe, and I'm going to get there, you see. That's the starting point. My goal one day, I don't know if we'll ever get there, but my goal, and Chris and I have talked about this, one day we're going to live on 10%, give away 90%. That's my goal. Someday, I don't know if I'll get there, probably not, but I'm going to try. I'm shooting for the moon because if you miss, you end up among the stars. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's not even in the Bible. I just like the saying. (laughs) But my wife already upped our giving knowing that our last payment was coming up. Why? Because now our budget is set, and now we have more room to be generous. Listen, the widow's heart was evident, her love for God. My challenge to you, I'm asking you today, is does your generosity, your giving, reflect your love for God? Second, her desire to worship God was resolute. This is the second lesson from a widow's heart. Her desire to worship God was resolute. She was resolved to give something despite the large sums that were being given around her. How often do we withhold because we think it's too little? This won't make a difference. Listen, I said earlier, it's not the amount that God is looking at. It's the heart that he's looking at. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He's looking for obedience. And some of you have been withholding your obedience, your generosity, simply because you think it's not anything. It doesn't mean anything. It won't make a difference. Let me tell you, it may not make a difference in whatever it is you give to. You're going, it's just a couple bucks. But it will make a huge difference in the heart of generosity that God is trying to develop in you. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. Here's what I found when I am a little generous. The next time my heart has been molded and shifted and changed, I want to be more generous. 
And before you know it, I'm walking with a heart and a mindset of generosity where I see people and I can't help but want to serve and love and give. And I see God's house and I can't help but want to give to it. Little is much when the heart is in it. He desires obedience in our giving. So let me talk to you about tithing because I think that this is a topic that Honestly, for five years, the first five years of our church, we're now eight years old, I never spoke on giving. I refused to. You want to know why? Because I was a coward. I'm just being straight up with you. I said, oh, well, I don't want to be that church. I don't want to be that pastor. So I'm not going to talk about money or generosity or giving, giving. And then God's like, no, you're just afraid. You're afraid of what man's going to think about you. And I just illustrated to you how much Jesus taught on it, how much scripture talks about it. And so if I don't teach on that, I'm actually ignoring a huge part of what the word of God is teaching us and how we live our lives. And I'm doing you and me a disservice. And so after five years, the Lord convicted me and he said, you got to start talking on it. And we started doing a generosity series every single year, usually in November. Or we talk about what generosity looks like. But it starts with the tithe. And I want to just bring some scripture into this. Uh, looking at Malachi 3, chapter 10, or chapter 3, verse 10. If we could throw that on the screen. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. You know, this is the only time God says, test me. The only time he says, test me is when it comes to you giving. Test me in this says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is the tithe. So I got some boxes here because I believe this is the first step. It's a tenth is what scripture explains to us. It means the first tenth, the first fruits, what we bring to God. Uh, uh, and, and people have asked me, well, well Caleb, is it, is it the net or the gross? And I'm like, look, you figure that out with the Holy Spirit. I don't care. I got emails about that, calls about that. No, that's between you and God. But we start there. When I was a young man, my dad, my mom, I started working. My first job was a junior in high school. I painted curbs. Red, no parking fire lane on curbs. I was the greatest curb painter in Sacramento history. And I started getting paid. This was back in the day. We're talking $5.25 an hour. Come on, somebody. The good old days. Back in 1997 when your boy was a junior in high school. But my parents were like, Caleb, you got to give your first tenth out of that to the Lord. And I was like big mad about it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like They were trying to get me to do it. I'm like, for real? It's like, no, I, I could get a lot of things with this. And I uh, needed some new Tiva sandals, you know what I'm saying, back then. And some, I don't know, some overalls or something. Some hammer pants. No, that was, that was the 80s. What am I talking about? Had to get my tips frosted because I was in the NSYNC flow, you know what I'm saying? Like, for reals, I got some pictures I could show you. I had frosted tips. It was off the chain, but. But they encouraged me towards that, and I started doing it as a young man. I've done it ever since. I don't even look at that money as my money. And that actually set me on a trajectory where I had to budget. 
Because I started like, I'm giving this first tenth, so what am I going to do with the rest? And it made me a better manager of all the money that I've had. And throughout my life, Chrissy and I, besides our house, have avoided debt besides the student loans. Because we've managed what God has given us with wisdom. But it starts with the tithe. I know some of you are out there going, man, 10%, that's crazy. Like, I couldn't do this. God said, test me in this. Some of you have never given anything. You just tip God based on how the sermon was. You're like, Caleb, you're all right today. Here's $5. Ooh, that was a banger. Here's 20. I'm dropping it in the offering. 20 bucks. Dang. You're just tipping based on the experience here on a Sunday. Listen, this is a great starting point. Some of you are like, 10%, I don't know if I could do this. I would tell you, test God in this. Why not? You know what it does? It increases your faith, your reliance, no longer on yourself but on him for what it is that you need. And watch him provide, he says. Maybe you need to start with at least something. Like, you know what? I'll give it a shot at 5%. I'm not going to hate on that. God's like, it's better than nothing. So there's the tithe. Then there's the offering. This is what you give above and beyond the tithe. And this is when we bring special projects to you and you're able to give to them. So last year we gave $17,000 to Convoy of Hope to feed children all around the world. We brought it to you, you gave a special offering. Last year we brought uh, Project Rescue to you. They rescue girls from sex trafficking all around the world. You gave $15,000 to that. We were able to give. Last year we brought Compassion to you, which we're going to do Compassion. We're going to actually sponsor Compassion Children in September. Get ready. It's going to be amazing. But we started by launching a church in Kenya with Compassion. You gave $50,000 to that, above and beyond the offering. It's amazing. And then there's the sacrificial gift. I believe this is what this woman did. She gave all she had. It was a sacrificial gift. She gave everything in her possession. You see, third and finally, the lesson from a widow's heart is her gift to God was reckless. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you gave so much it hurt? I actually said that in the first service and this dude over here was like, never. I was like, I appreciate your honesty. Was the last time you gave so much it hurt? Never. Okay. I loved it. I know you're out there thinking right now, you know what? I know what's going on. Project Church is hurting. Project Church must be struggling financially. That's why Caleb's hitting us with this message. He's coming hard. I get it. Let me tell you something, 2020, pandemic year, the greatest giving year in the history of Project Church. Give God some praise. I actually came into 2021, if the keys would come back, I came to 2021 and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's no way we can top 2020. I mean, everyone was excited about the building. People thought the pandemic hit, so they're like, oh, the church is probably struggling. I'm going to give them a little extra. 2021, as of this month, I believe we're up, where's my dad? Eight to 10% above 2020. Come on, church, give God some praise. That's because of your generosity. But I don't look at people's giving, but I do know the amount of people that give. 
And I also know the amount of people that attend this church. And I started to think about it. And when God brought this message to this time, to this day, and I'm supposed to share it with you, I really felt like God was like, you got to challenge them. But some of you are maybe thinking, well, he's doing it for him. He's doing it for the church. I said early, God doesn't need your money. I'm doing this, and I'm sharing this, and I'm challenging you with this because I've seen what a life of generosity has done in my life. I've seen the change and the faith that it's built in my life, in my wife's life, when I'm reliant not on my own strength or my own wisdom or my own gift, but in a God that owns it all, that has it all, that can give it all, and that can meet any need you have. You see, I've seen what it's done in my heart, in my faith journey, and I want you to have the same experience. And that's why I would challenge you that you would live a life of generosity because it changes everything to where you begin to see people and your heart goes out to them and you can't help but give. My wife is the most generous person and she wants to give to everyone and everything and thank God she's got me in, my, in her life or she wouldn't have paid those student loans off yet. But, but we balance each other and I'm thankful for her because she's challenged me to live more generous some of you are single in this place. Maybe you're married, but both of you have been living tight-fisted. I wanted to encourage you. You don't have to get reckless like this woman. In fact, Jesus, he doesn't condemn the gift of the rich. And I actually read a few commentaries, and they were like condemning the rich. And I'm like, he never said that. He doesn't condemn the gift of the rich. He just celebrates the gift of the poor. And she got reckless with it. And I want to tell you, there's been times in our marriage when God was like, it's time to get reckless, Caleb. I want you to clear out your savings. I was like, nah, that wasn't God. <laughs> you may have a moment like that. That hasn't happened to us in a long time. But it's happened in our lives, in our faith journey. There may be a moment of that, but I think more often God is just looking. Will they live generous at all? Will they walk in obedience? Will they decide to give when I ask them to give? Will they come to me with the tenth, with the tithe, with the first fruits? When there's an offering and an opportunity, will they give out? Are they going to just tip me? Or are they going to walk in generosity? Now some of you are like, man, I know if I start giving though, it's going to be a struggle. Let me show you what scripture says in Proverbs chapter number 3, verse 9 through 10. Watch this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 11. Next one. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Let me tell you, the best life is the blessed life. And the blessed life is the generous life. And I'm looking around in our culture. What does our culture tell us to do? Our culture tells us to be selfish, to be self-focused. That here's all the stuff you need, and if you get it, you'll be happy. You can watch any advertisement, any commercial. They're all 
lies. Because the advertisement is designed to tell you, if you just get this thing, then all your problems will disappear. If you just get this thing, then you'll have the perfect partner, spouse that you've been looking for. If you just get this thing, then you'll have a life of adventure and joy, and you go buy it. Those of you that get the new iPhone the day it comes out every time, the new iPad every time it comes out, and for a few weeks, oh, I'm happy, and then it just becomes another thing. Why? Because that's not the life we were meant to live. Things don't satisfy. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, Jesus said. But store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy. You can't take anything with you. But the people and the souls that are around you. And that's why I believe God is calling you to be generous. He's looking for a generous people. And I know in a room this large, there are some people right now who, if you were honest, would say, I haven't been living the generous life I should have been living. I know as I'm honest, I don't live the generous life day by day that I should be living. But today I believe God wanted to make us uncomfortable. I didn't want to guilt trip you coerce you into any kind of action. I simply wanted to encourage you that there is a better life, a generous life that I believe God wants his church, the true church, to rise up to and to walk in. So I opened with this. I said it's not much, but I'll give it. Listen, your heart needs to give. It needs to give much more than your life needs to keep whatever it is that God is asking you to let go of. You were designed to give. God created you to serve. He made you to live not for yourself, but for those around you. In God's eyes, little is much when the heart is in it. And so I added a little part here at the end. So give it. Little is much when the heart is in it. So give it. Everybody say, give it. Say it again. Give it. Some of you need to speak it out. You're teaching yourself. You're, 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 you're proclaiming to yourself today. Give it. He wants us to give. We weren't meant to live this way. We we're meant to live this way. Like the woman who Jesus commended, who Jesus celebrated. And so today, as we close, I wanted to tell you the reason that I give is because he already gave it all to me. Not only did he give me the breath in my lungs and the talent that I have and the energy in my body and the ability to do the work that I do, but he gave his life so that I could have life and life to the fullest. He died the death you should have died. So you could have the life that only he could give. And so if nothing else, I think, how could I not be generous when Jesus himself paid the ultimate price he gave with his life? How could I not give back to him? Even a small percentage, I'm telling you, 
Some of you, this is going to transform your life when you decide for the first time ever, ever to live generous, to give a percentage consistently. It is going to transform your life. You're going to walk with greater faith, with greater belief, with greater joy, with greater purpose. Why? Because for the first time you're living the way God called you to live. So today, as we close, with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you, if you're in this room, you say, Caleb, I've never received Jesus into my life. I've never surrendered my heart to Jesus. I've never given my life over to Jesus. I've never walked with Jesus. And today you said he paid the price for my sin. He took my sin upon himself. Or maybe you did at one time, but you've been running from God. You turned your back on God. And today you want to give him your whole heart. I want you to respond right now. If that's you, you need Jesus. For the first time, you need to recommit yourself today and new and afresh. I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three, go. Put your hand up. Yes, 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 yes. Anyone else? Put it up right now. Yes. Come on, church. Give God some praise in this place. You can put your hands down. You see, the Holy Spirit's moving. He wanted five, six people today in this service. We had like six in the first service to, to surrender their hearts to Jesus fully for the first time. How many of you know the angels in heaven are rejoicing? We should be rejoicing too. Twelve people's name has been added to the Lamb's book of life. Pray this prayer with me. Everybody in here say, Jesus, forgive me of my selfishness, of my sin. I ask you today to change me. I surrender my whole heart, all that I am, to you as my Savior. I love you, Jesus, and I'm asking you to lead me, to guide me, to have me, and to hold me in your perfect will. I love you, Jesus, your name. Amen. Can we stand to our feet, church? So listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. Our prayer team is going to make their way forward. As we sing... I want you to sing, but I also want you to talk to God. Because some of you in this place, the Lord has convicted you, and he's shown you that you need to live more generous. Maybe before you leave this place, you are going to make the decision to tithe for the first time in your life, to give a percentage for the first time in your life, to be the generous person God's called you to be in this life. I want you to solidify that with God solidify that during this song. Our prayer team is going to be up here. If you raise your hand and receive Jesus, if you need prayer for anything, maybe you want confirmation of what God is speaking to in this place, they want to pray with you. Let's sing and let this be our declaration that we will live generously in all things. Come on, lift your voices with us, church. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.